threat of disaster is never pleasant. Welcome to the Casual Preppers Podcast. These safety measures are essential. The only place for prepping, survival, and entertainment. This will be your source of survival instructions and information. Every member of the family must be coached in the business of survival. Here are your hosts, Cam and Kobe. Mm-hmm. And we're here. We are here. Welcome to the podcast, boys. <laughs> Guess what? This whole podcast has been a hoax, everybody. <laughs> you guys fell for it. <laughs> Punks. Yeah. yeah, man. Greatest hoaxes in history. It's surprising how many came up that we'd already talked about. I know. In different areas. Yeah. What's a hoax? What's a conspiracy? What's yeah. A- it's all kind of the same stuff a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but-, but a lot of these I hadn't heard. Yeah, these are some new ones. Some of them are funny. Some of them aren't. So, yeah. So, we'll see how this goes, this is right? greatest hoaxes in history. Yes, sir. But before we talk about hoaxes... This is not a hoax. This is not a hoax. I ain't kidding you. Yeah. Uh -uh. The Prepper's Medical Handbook Mm. is written by someone quite wise. William W. Forge. Yep. He's an MD, and he provides the basis of prevention, identification, long-term management of Mm -hmm. the survival medical conditions that you may face as you survive this world. Yeah, man. It's really nice, um, easy to read. And you can get yours at Amazon.com. Yeah. To get right to the point of that. Uh-huh. But um, it is a great addition to your prepper or whatever library. You don't even have to be a prepper for this. No, you don't. It's a man. good book to just kind of teach you some survival and wilderness medicine by someone that knows the nitty gritty of the body. Yeah. <laughs> so. Knows all the orifices yeah. and how to use them. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. How to look in them and use them. <laughs> how you look in that one? So, yeah. The Prepper's Medical Handbook. Go get you one. Yeah. Well, Cam, we're talking about the greatest hoaxes in history. Some of these are weird. Some of them are way weird. Some of them you're like, oh, yeah. There's a lot of, like, hoax. modern ones. Yeah. Um, We didn't really get into a lot of, like, the newest ones. But yeah. there's some in here. Yeah, you, may, you may remember some of them. I might. But, I, I do. I did remember some of these yeah. specifically. Yeah. yeah. So, let's talk about... <laughs> Yeah. Hunting for Bambi. Do you remember this one? Uh, I don't. I haven't I had looked not, into this. So I've not know. heard anything about Maybe. this one. Let's see. So, Hunting for Bambi yeah. is a series of hoax videos oh, publicized videos. in the summer of 2003 that center on the fictional competition to hunt semi naked women with paintball guns oh. in the deserts of Las Vegas. Look, I had just met my wife. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't think about anything else. She was just so gorgeous. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> True. Yeah. This okay. part of your life had ended. Yeah, yeah. This was I was all done. I wasn't hunting no bambies. No. I had I had bagged my bambi, I put my tag on it. <laughs> it was over. Yeah, so real men outdoor productions oh, yeah. that they didn't they insist they didn't do anything illegal. They basically set this up and, and had advertised it that a male could mm. come and pay five thousand to ten to ten thousand dollars for the privilege of hunting bambies. That were women wearing nothing but a thong and tennis shoes. <laughs> nothing up top. Shoes. Yeah. And no undies. Well, they got a thong on. Yeah, they got the thong on. Um, they'd pick them off with paintball guns powerful enough, powerful enough to draw blood. What? The Bambies are paid $2,500 if they can avoid getting hit uh-huh. and 1000 even if they don't get hit. Jeez, that's a good day job. Yeah. Really, either the way. The men pay 5000 The women only get 1000 of that. That's how it works. Yeah. Welcome to the world. So, anyways, they, uh. they had, like, produced this, and a lot of people believed that it was, like, a real show. And so, sure. They, but, but it was not. Oh, it wasn't. And I think there were videos produced. But I want... <laughs> this oh, is, gosh, of course. This part... Um, the company has a Las Vegas business license to sell $20 videos of hunters chasing nude women through the woods. So they said that there was nothing oh. wrong with what they'd done because they had obtained a license for this. Okay. And there's plenty of 
uh, you know, adult entertainment out there with all kinds oh, of sure. weird crap. So they're like, yeah. what are we doing wrong? <laughs> the U.S. Bureau of Land Management was looking into the speculation that hunts had taken place without permits on public property. <laughs> you got a permit for yeah. that hunt? 90% of Nevada is owned by the federal government. Uh, of course it is. Yeah. In our patrol of the lands, if they're out there without a permit, we find them, we will cite them. <laughs> I love that. Like, I'll be one to go look and I'll see. I'll keep looking. <laughs> All right. Can I go see if they're illegally shooting Bambies? Um, I'm going to go set up a sting operation out there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, he, uh, the creator of this whole thing, he said and asserted that the women were not being mis- mistreated. Noting that they can wear goggles and helmets for protection if they wish. <laughs> so I gave them goggles. Yeah. They're fine. But anyways, yeah, yeah. it kind of took off as people thinking it was like a real TV series that was coming out. And I'd never heard it's about It's something that. that you could really do. Like you could actually go. But I think it was more to, uh, you know, draw people to. The get, videos. Yeah, the videos that right. I think were produced. So Wow. Weird hoax. Yeah, that, I had never heard that one. I hadn't heard that one. Nope, either. that's a new one for me. So that one's called Hunting for Bambi. Hunting for Bambi. Do you remember the Balloon Boy hoax? This um, one I did remember. Yes, I do remember this one. Yeah, this and is pretty crazy. I, I can't say I knew that it was a hoax. Oh, yes, it was. I <laughs> October 15th, 2009, uh, a homemade helium-filled gas balloon shaped to resemble a silver flying saucer. Again, <laughs> Back to UFOs. <laughs> yeah. Always, man. This was attempted recently, it sounds like. Yeah. It was released into the atmosphere above Fort Collins, Colorado by Richard and Muyami. Heen- Muyami? Henny? I don't know how to say that name. Then they claimed that their six-year-old son, Falcon, was trapped inside. Falcon? Falcon's in the <laughs> balloon. Falcon, you meant for the skies, boy. <laughs> You're going to fly one way or the other. Get in that balloon, boy. <laughs> Falcon's high. And that falcon's soaring above Colorado. Falcon. I can't. You know how many of these came from Colorado? I know, I man. I think at least half. Yeah. What's going on in Colorado? Well, they legalized weed first before anybody else. You would think, yeah, Oregon would yeah, be the yeah. one to... Oregon. Well, authorities confirmed that the balloon reached 7,000 feet during <laughs> its 90-minute flight. Dang. Which is crazy. The event attracted worldwide attention, and Falcon was nicknamed Balloon Boy in the media. <laughs> it's like, he already had a name Falcon. He had a cool name. <laughs> it's like, oh, Balloon Boy? My name, my real name's Falcon. I know. I was, <laughs> that's a dumb name. Stupid. Man, I wish I had a cool name like Falcon. Yeah. Me Man, too, Chad. <laughs> yeah, exactly, Chad. Um, <laughs> National Guard helicopters and local police pursued the balloon. I don't know what the helicopters were going to do. <laughs> Just blow it, don't keep blowing it further. <laughs> yeah. He's on, we're on pursuit and he He's keeps on going faster and faster. We tried to lasso it, kept getting, <laughs> the rope kept getting stuck in a rotors. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's out of here. I the local police, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do either. After flying for more than an hour and approximately 50 miles, the balloon landed about 12 miles northeast of the Denver International Airport, where it immediately was taken over by the Illuminati. <laughs> I was going to say, it. of point. course I went to the Denver International yeah. When Falcon was not found inside, and it was reported that an object had seen falling from the balloon, a search was Oh, my begun. gosh. They're like, Falcon ain't in here, kids. What are we going to do? <laughs> I don't know. I think I saw something fall from it earlier. What's it's going crazy on? all the things that come up. Like, I'm pretty sure I saw something fall. Yeah, something fell. No doubt, no doubt. Something <laughs> fell out of that thing when the helicopters were near it. I don't yeah. know. Later that day, the boy was found hiding in the attic of his home. 
where he had apparently been the, the entire whole time. time. The whole time. Oh He's just sitting up in the attic reading comic books. Maybe I, this isn't the story I was thinking. Okay. Uh, suspicions of a hoax soon arose, particularly after an interview with Wolf Blitzer on Larry King Live that same evening. They brought Falcon on there and they were talking. And it, it, Wolf Blitzer's like, why were you hiding up there? And Falcon looked up at his dad and he said, you guys said that um, we did this for the show. <laughs> apparently revealing that the Hennies had staged the inc incident as a publicity stunt. So well, that it worked. Yeah, yeah. On October 18th, 2009, Larimer County Sheriff Jim Alderin, Alderden. 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 That's right. <laughs> announced his conclusion that the incident was a hoax and that the parents would likely face several felony charges. We got our helicopters out. The police were following him. We lost a couple of good lawsuits. We're pretty pissed. Okay. That's Why did it take that long to consider it a hoax? I'm not or was really that sure. like right directly after? You think well, we found the kid in the attic? It was a week after or something. No, it was like only. Oh, no, it was a month afterwards. Yeah, it seems like a long it time. It took a month. They had to do some investigating. Kid was in the attic. Yeah. Balloon. Something's up with this. Or I'm going to have to write all this down on a chalkboard or something to figure it out. <laughs> I don't know. Give me a month. How'd he fall out of that balloon <laughs> right into the attic? It's beyond me. Yeah, we're going to have to do some diagrams to figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So then on November 13th, 2009, Richard Henney pleaded guilty to attempting to influence a public servant. That's what he pleaded guilty to. <laughs> yeah. He was sentenced to 90 days in jail in order to pay $36,000 in restitution. That's all just... Uh, helicopter fuel, probably. <laughs> <laughs> you know how much fuel costs for one of the things? Fill that up. Yeah, $12,000. And Muyami Henny was sentenced to 20 days of weekend jail. Apparently, that's a thing. <laughs> you just got to go on the weekend to jail. <laughs> you come in on Friday night, we'll get uh, you home on Sunday Friday's night. Friday's getting me really stressed out. I got to go spend the weekend in jail. <laughs> Sounds like a, just a little, you know... Does that happen that often? I don't they know. They still do that? Apparently. That's the thing. Okay. Following the incident, the Henny... I'd be like, how about weekday jail? <laughs> Just Sunday. <laughs> Just get me in there on Sunday, okay? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, I gotta go to jail. Yeah, sorry. See you. Have fun at church, kids. <laughs> uh, Sitting there and read. Yeah. Uh, following the incident, the Henny family has maintained their innocence, claiming that they were pressured into a guilty plea under the threat of Miami Henny's deportation. Apparently, she ain't from the United States. But on December 23rd, 2020, the Hennies were pardoned by Governor Jared Polis. Oh, my gosh. Pardon. <laughs> you don't got to go to weekend jail no more. <laughs> it's fine. Everything's good. That was pretty recent, huh? We all enjoyed the falcon <laughs> in the sky. I wonder what they're up to these days. I don't know. That's interesting. Probably cooking up another scheme. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. You know. Oh man. Falcons, he's he's in high school now, you know, <laughs> doing his thing. Or is he? Or is he? He's yeah, in I don't the know. Attic. He's skipping out on high school. Still in the attic. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So, um this one's a little PG-13 kind of. For sure, man. The blue waffle. <laughs> So I have not heard of this. Oh my gosh, man. Nor did I hear about it in like training or anything like that. Training? You had blue waffle training? Well, you know, like STDs and, oh, and okay. like going over medical conditions. Sure. This one didn't come up in the book. Didn't? Maybe it's in the prepper's medical handbook. We'll have <laughs> to see. Have to look How to it. treat blue waffle. <laughs> so what disgusting. is a blue waffle? Um, it was originally like a bait and switch shock website that would like people would search for it to know what it is and then bring up a really disgusting picture because what it is is a blue colored 
vagina. Okay. Because um, it's supposed um, STD that oh, okay that causes a woman's genital region to, to turn, turn blue. Blue. Yeah. It's like a weird Se- Willy Wonka spinoff. Sex with a Smurf. <laughs> Yeah, and like a lot of people believe that they could get this um, STD and they would develop a blue waffle. (laughs) That's so gross. Yeah, but it was uh, basically it was kind of developed to to cause people to like traffic to go to this website and pull up this picture. But there's a lot of like people on Reddit and stuff. It's pretty funny that like. People are asking, like, what is a blue waffle? And the person's like, well, don't Google it, because <laughs> I did, off, yeah. and it's still burned into my memory. Yeah. Apparently, there's a vid- there's a picture of the nether lesions. Legions. Legions. <laughs> there's lesions. There's lesions and, <laughs> and regions. regions. Yeah. Um, that is dyed purple or something, or the photo is, you know, nice. changed to purple. Or blue, sorry. Blue. But, yeah, so... Um, and I think it's in uh, what's that dictionary for all the sexual stuff like, oh, uh, like Urban Dictionary? Urban Dictionary, yeah, yeah, it's in there and everything. So, but a lot of people for in 2008 believed that it was a real STD, yeah. and a lot of websites for women's health still have it on there <laughs> as yeah. like this isn't a real thing and you can't really contract it. Yeah, so, the blue waffle. Mm, wow, go get you one. That's a hoax. Yeah, guys, this one is one of my favorite. Of, the, of yeah. the whole night. Um, on <clears throat> In February of 1964, four paintings by a previously unknown avant-garde French artist named Pierre Brassau oh. was exhibited at an art show in Go- Göteborg, Sweden. Also at the show were works by artists from England, Denmark, Australia, Italy, and Sweden. But it was the works of the French artists that attracted all the attention. So they had a bunch of art critics, they had journalists and students, they had glasses of wine in hand, silently contemplating Brassau's creations, right? <laughs> Their praise was like almost unanimous. Everyone meow. Yeah, everyone meow. This was fantastic. <laughs> Rolf Ardenberg of the Morning... Rolf? <clears throat> Rolf. Okay. Uh, Morning Post and Later wrote that most of the works at the show were ponderous, but not those of Brassau. Pierre Brassau paints with powerful strokes, but also with clear determination. <laughs> His brush strokes twist with furious fastidiousness. Pierre is an artist who performs with the delicacy of a ballet dancer. It's <laughs> so like, man, they're like, this is good stuff, right? This is this is art as it's meant to be. One lone critic panned Brassau's work, declaring, only an ape could have done this. All right. As it turns out, the critic was correct. Pierre Brassau was, in fact, an ape. <laughs> okay? Specifically, he was it's a... It's funny for- what people, like... I know. Like, like, will work up as being, like, a perfect art. Mm-hmm. Like, it's beautiful. Yeah. Like, and, like, really put the words in there to make you yeah. believe that it's, like, elegant and uh-huh. it's really a piece of trash. It was a four-year-old West African <laughs> chimpanzee named Peter. <laughs> from Sweden's, not even a cool name. Yeah, I know from Sweden's Boris Zoo. Pierre Brassau was an invention of Axelson, a journalist at one of Gothenburg's daily papers. He came up with the idea of exhibiting the work of a monkey in an art show as a way of putting critics to the test. Would they be able to tell the difference between modern art and monkey art? I think this is like the most brilliant. Well, he thing nailed ever. it. Yeah, it's like. Because it's so true that sometimes... A lot of these hoaxes I noticed were like tests of public and see and kind of doing... It's just really funny because sometimes you do see this with with artists or even like film or music. It's like, this is brilliant. And it's just garbage. You know, people are saying that it's brilliant because these... uh, 
these critics that are in high places are saying yep. that it's good. I just thought this was hilarious. Yeah. Axelson persuaded Peter's 17-year-old keeper to give the chimpanzee a brush and oil paints. Initially, Peter preferred eating the paint to placing it on a canvas. He especially liked the tart flavor of cobalt blue. <laughs> It's delicious. But eventually, I would agree. Yeah. But eventually, he started smearing paint on the canvases provided to him. Because of his taste preferences, cobalt blue featured heavily in his work. That was just like, you know. It's his favorite. Yeah, it's his favorite. Uh, when painting, Peter always had a bunch of bananas close at hand. Obviously, <laughs> he's a freaking monkey. He's a chimpanzee. The rate at which he consumed them matched his level of creativity. Okay. During periods of great inspiration, he would eat as many as nine bananas in 10 minutes. Okay. That's almost Dang. a banana a minute when you do the math there. After Peter had created a number of paintings, Axelson chose what he considered to be the four best and arranged to have them exhibited at an art show at the Christina Gallery. Um, after Axelson revealed the hoax, Rolf Andenberg, the critic who had praised the work, insisted that Pierre's work was still the best painting in the expedition. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. Because really, honestly, most of those museums, like I went to one in Portland. Yeah. And I was kind of excited. I'm like, oh, this is some good art. Mm -hmm. There's a big population here. And I was like, these are all really dumb. Just stupid. Like, like two finger smears and like a leaf. <laughs> yeah. I'm like... Yeah, exactly. How is this art? You're like, this is supposed to be real good and stuff? Yeah. Anyways, a private collector bought one of Brassau's works for 90 bucks. <laughs> About $600 in 2008 money. It's about $1,000 today. Wow. In 1969, Peter was transferred to the Chester Zoo in England. Where Probably he lived $2 million today, you mean. The remainder of his life, exactly. I'd love to have chimp paintings. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So anyways, there that you go. cobalt blue go real oh, well in our man. house. Look great in my bathroom. <laughs> you know? Right by the fridge. Right by the fridge. The fridge isn't in the bathroom. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't give it. Oh, that's awesome. We have talked about putting a fridge in the bathroom, though, haven't we? <laughs> I don't know. A little we? mini fridge. I think we did talk with about some that. Uh, like root beer or something yeah. in there. I can't remember. I put my <laughs> put your what? I put my toilet paper in there, and that's oh, yeah. cool. Oh, that's right. Wipe. I think that's what we I talked we about. Did, yeah, keeping it cool. Yeah, <laughs> keep it real cool. Yeah. Um. So this one is one of the biggest hoaxes. Uh, the giant of hoax. our time, yeah. giant hoax. It is a giant hoax. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So this one was um, apparently anybody in the 1800s. You could have fooled anybody. Oh, you idiots! <laughs> like people, just everybody believed were, anything. They were just dumb. But it was a lot of like change in technology yeah. and photography, and everything was kind of coming about. So it's like, man, you can believe anything. Sure. Kind of like our time in AI. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, anyways, 1869, George Hole was the mastermind behind this 19th century um, discovery of a 10-foot-tall giant. Wow. So the story goes, uh, George Hole is, he's actually a cigar salesman. Yeah, he is. And he hated anything religious. And okay. he was like atheist, and he'd just kind of get pissed about like um, anything about the Bible. But sure. there was a passage um, that was read, um, I can't remember if he attended uh, a a sermon or something, and it said mm -hmm. there were giants in the earth in those days. Oh, yeah. So he had thought to himself, he's like, how can I, like, confuse and <laughs> kind of prove the Bible as nonsense? Sure. So what he did is um, he spent nearly $3,000 um, building this uh, sculpture of a 10-foot-tall giant. Okay. He bought a five-ton block of gypsum, Jeez. and he had hired some uh, sculptors to kind of chisel it into the shape of, a, of this giant 
there's a picture of it, like the the giant. Um, it kind of looks like something you'd see in Rome. Yes, he has like yeah. a big hand. His I think hands I've across his belly, and it looks like a, a petrified giant. And so, what he did with this is he took it to it's um, got a ding dong and William everything. to the farmer named William Stub Newell. What'd you say? It's got a ding dong on it. A bit of big old ding dong. <laughs> yeah, it's a giant one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's a giant. Yeah. Um, after cutting Newell in on the deal and swearing him to secrecy, he shipped the giant uh, to his property in an iron-sealed box. Jeez. And on the chilly night of November 1868, they buried the behemoth near Newell's barn, mm-hmm. wedging it under the roots to create the illusion that it had been there for a long time and, and roots had grown around it. <sighs> and then they left it for a year. Oh, my God. So they buried it, left Dedication. it for a year, and then Newell, um, the guy that was in on the whole thing, contacted right. someone to come dig a well, knew, knowing yeah. exactly where the statue was buried. Sure. So the, these guys came in to dig a well and, you know, boom, what's that? Yeah. There's a body here. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so they dig it all up and they find this this um, enormous 10-foot giant that mm. looks like a petrified giant. That, and, and so people started talking, you know, and it started to spread around town and there was like this big giant. People from like colleges, from like Syracuse, um, science lecturers and everything came in to confirm that this was real, that this was an ancient um, giant that had been laid to rest there and he's kind of petrified. It took quite a while, like tons of people come and they paid money and even someone's like, I want to put my money in on this mm-hmm. and they'd offer $30,000 to invest in this um, um, for, for sightseeing and everything like yeah. that. Um, even, was this the one? I get them all confused. Yeah. So um, Barnum and Bailey, P.T. Wow. Barnum yeah. was interested in it, hearing about it and he's like, I want in on this. Cause I can show it in my, you know, in my show and, yeah. and make more money on it. But he didn't actually obtain it, but he made copies of it. Oh. So even with his replicas yeah. of the Cardiff giant, he was making money on it. And <laughs> anyways, it wasn't until, uh, several years later that someone, um, came in and like chiseled it away, found out that it was made up of gypsum was like. And then they started putting it together. Uh, people in town had said, they remember a year earlier, somebody coming through with a giant iron box. Yes. Like, I don't know what that was, but <laughs> they started to put it together and realized that he had basically fooled everybody for several years and a lot of wow. money later. Like, I think he, his part, I think he'd made um, somewhere between like $10,000 or something Holy during cow. that time. Wow. So, Anyways, he he uh, he definitely took advantage, and and it's still one of the most famous giant discoveries. They still have it somewhere, right? Displayed, I don't know if I that think. one they do. They do this other one. Oh, okay. So I combine these two because uh, several years later, eighteen seventy nine, um, the I don't know how to say this. Tafanok is it Tafanok? I think so. Um, they call it Toggy. Toggy was discovered in eighteen seventy nine during hotel renovations and put on display before it was revealed as a hoax. So this one, um was actually buried uh, in, this was in New York as well, um, teamed up with John Thompson, two guys. They created the stone giant using stone dust, eggs, minerals, iron fillings, and beef blood. What? To make it look like a body. Like, oh that it had gosh. substance. Eggs? More, so it didn't just seem like it was. Put know. a couple eggs in there. 
<laughs> you want it to solidify, <laughs> yeah. get the egg whites. Got to keep it all together with the eggs. I just was like, all the crap that went into this, so that basically if anyone took samples, yeah. there would, it would come up as like, some blood types Biological yeah. substance in there. So um, after its discovery, Cornell scientists deemed the corpse authentic. Wow. Lending credibility to the story and the draw of tourism to see the artifact. And so decredibility to Cornell. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes. So a lot of people, because they, t- I think they did, they chiseled off a piece and then he tested it and they're like, man, it's got some body parts in here. It looks like yeah. egg, iron. <laughs> and a lot of protein, some choline in there. <laughs> so it seemed like it was an actual yeah. like petrified body. Wow. Um, but then it, it later came out that it, it was a hoax too. I think they admitted to it. Um, they did make a replica of it wow. and it's it sits um, across, in a pavilion across from... Trumansburg's Farms Mark Farmers Market, wherever huh, that is, somewhere cool. in New York. But I want to go see it. I'd love to see that. Not the original though. I don't know what happened. Someone probably ate the other one. Oh yeah, it's tasty. It's good. Beef blood eggs. Cook it up. Minerals. So those two are the famous like discoveries yeah. that weren't real. We're not. And then for a long time, people paid money to see them because they thought they were. Uh, have you ever heard the curious tale of the Contingly fairies? I, I Contingly fairies. One. I don't know how to say that. It started back in the summer of nineteen seventeen. Nineteen seventeen. Uh, World War One was happening, right? Nineteen seventeen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when nine-year-old Francis Griffiths and good her movie mo- was produced. Oh now. yeah, <laughs> returned to England from South Africa to stay with the Wright family on Contingly, West Yorkshire. Um, next to the house where Polly and Arthur Wright had their 16-year-old daughter, Elsie, lived was a small wooded valley through which Contingly Beck flowed. Elsie and Francis, they were cousins, always getting into mischief, right? When told <laughs> when they got told off from coming home wet, they came home, they're all wet. They're like, look, we went to see the fairies. That's why we're wet. And they're like, really? That's yeah. She's like, what are you talking about? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And she's like, no. Give me your camera. I'm going to go take some pictures. So they went out. They came back um, with some some photos within an hour. Um, and her her dad was an amateur photographer, had his own dark room. So he went in there. He started to develop these pictures. And the image, which is super famous now, shows Francis, head slightly tilted, gazing off just to the right of the photographer. In front of her, several winged fairies figures, fairy figures, dressed in diaphanous clothing, are dancing. Ooh. Francis looks as though she's trying hard not to laugh. So do you, you see the photo there? Like yeah. it looks kind of cheesy, but you got to remember this is 1917 and it was easy to fool people, okay? Um Arthur Wright, her dad was immediately suspicious. She's like, "I don't know about this. This seems a little weird." That you, girl's a little sh- Yeah, <laughs> she's always doing stuff. <laughs> Uh, never cleans the room. Always taking pictures of I fairies. I coming back wet. I'm sick of it. <laughs> yeah. The dresses are always wet. <laughs> Get dry, dummy. Um, and then when the girls came back in September with an impressive plate showing Elsie holding out her hand to a gnome-like winged figure, Arthur was still unconvinced. He knew the girls had been up to something. He just wasn't sure how they did. I don't know how you kids are doing this. <laughs> this is weird. Yeah. I haven't seen no fairy ever, never. <laughs> okay. This is stupid. Ever, never. <laughs> Ever, never. Um, Arthur's instincts were right, though it would be decades before that was confirmed. Elsie's mother, Polly, this is funny, was interested in the theosophical movement. Remember, we uh, talked about this theosophical movement at some point. There's a lot of that. Bunch of yeah. weirdos. Um, she, <laughs> right? And she took the photographs to a meeting of the Theosophical Society in nearby Bradford. Appropriately, the subject of the evening lecture was fairy life. 
weird. Easy. Easy. <laughs> Let me show you. <laughs> and the images appear to have caught the imagination and enthusiasm of the society's supporters. And one of its leading members, Edward Gardner, okay, seizing an opportunity to promote the most important spiritual message of theo theosophists. That's a hard word to say. Uh, yeah. That humankind I'm was, not reading that. was undergoing a process of transformation that would lead eventually to the perfection of the species. <laughs> we were getting there. <laughs> and these photos... Prove it yes. somehow. <laughs> Some girls playing with fairies in the woods. <laughs> I've been looking for this yeah. proof. Uh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Theosophical movement shall <laughs> continue on, right? Oh, so man. he claimed that these images were supernatural proof that the great metaphysical changes were happening. I tell you, right there. It's, it's happening. clear as day. You guys looking at these photos? <laughs> And passing them around. How do you not get it? Everybody, look. It's happening. Okay? The images appeared in a spiritualist magazine. You see him like, just like, they're all just sweating. He's just like, yeah. I've shown you these pictures, and I'm here to tell you. It's happening. They're going through a change. Yeah. It's proof. Proof positive. The most important event. Yeah. In history. The images appeared in a spiritualist magazine where they caught the eye of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle who is a believer in spiritualism himself. And Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, he's the dude that wrote um, uh, Sherlock Holmes. Oh, yeah. And all those, right? Uh, and some other stuff. Anyways, he was about to write a piece on fairies, of course, <laughs> for the Christmas edition of The Strand magazine, and asked Arthur and Elsie for permission to use the images. I don't want to use these. Perfect for my article <laughs> for fairies. Showing transition and everything. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, look, I'm... I'm writing an article on fairies. I see some pictures Perfect of some time. real fairies. I don't know. Something's <laughs> happening here. Let's use these, all right? Um, anyways, people continued to believe in the fairies through the 20s and 30s because people were idiots. They wanted <laughs> to have faith in the girls and the story that they told somewhere in a forgotten corner. I just know in my heart it's real. Yeah. I just know in my heart. Mm, these fairies are real. <laughs> there are things that we don't my know about. My daughter believes them. I believe them. Yep. Fairies. <laughs> Fairies in the woods. It's true. Um, hard as though it is to believe now, debate on the authenticity of the Contigli fairies continued until the 60s. Wow. That's the 1960s, not <laughs> 1860s. Wow. We're talking about the 1960s. <laughs> Television opened up a greater opportunity for investigative journalism in the following decade, where the images came under greater scrutiny. However, they were not entirely debunked until the 1980s. This is like, I'm born now. People are still believing in fairy Apparently photos. Apparently no one is going back to look at those pictures for like, a look long at them. time. Like, you can tell that they're cardboard cutouts <laughs> when you look at them. Um, in 1980s... We don't have no cardboard around here. No, nah, ain't nobody had cardboard around in those days in Contigli. Um, <laughs> Jeffrey Crawley, the editor of the British Journal the of The positioning of them is, I mean, the, the feet and stuff. Sure. Pretty good. It does look pretty good. I'll give you that. Um, I'd buy it on eBay. <laughs> for sure, yeah. <laughs> British Journal of Photography undertook a major investigation concluding that they were fakes. Finally, in the 1980s. Oh my gosh, that long? Yeah. The cousins were both still alive in the 1980s. They had to have been like freaking old as garbage at that point. We're still talking about this? <laughs> Are you guys kidding me? <laughs> we're still talking about these photos that we took. They're it's both been just sitting there with five years. <laughs> it's been eighty-five. <laughs> um, They're both just sitting in a care center with wings. 
That really happened. I was a fairy. <laughs> I promise this really Waiting happened. Waiting for him to sprinkle dust on me. <laughs> Move on. Yep. Theosophical society. That's crazy. It lasted that long. Yeah, they finally. That's got to be the record, right? They finally said, look, it's a hoax. <laughs> In 1983. At least they didn't die with their shit. I know. Exactly. <laughs> um, anyways, that's kind of weird. That is really weird. Well, actually, the funny thing was um, they said they maintained all their life that fairies and their sunbath, the fifth and last image, was real. What? The others were fakes. <laughs> but the last one's real. We caught them. <laughs> we got them finally. Didn't have to do no cardboard or nothing. <laughs> Those are real. I'm a real fairy. <laughs> yeah. Can I have some more tapioca, please? <laughs> Change my diaper. That's why. Yeah. You know? That's probably what tells us real, get you more tapioca. That was real. <laughs> I want double tapioca rations for the rest of the week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I want extra of those blue that's pills, weird, too. <laughs> that's a very weird, like, voice. Because it sounds like an old woman, but yeah. it's got, like, a deep man. <laughs> <laughs> is that what it is? It creeped me out a little bit. <laughs> Sorry. Give me more uh, tapioca. I can see a lady talking yeah, like that. Know, You're huh? like, oh, Yeah. I'm a fairy. <laughs> um, Miss Fairy. <laughs> uh, this one... I mean, not super exciting because we've all heard about this one. Sure, but that's okay. The crop circles. For sure. 1980s to 1990s, cornfields became known not for such sensational entertainment as corn mazes, but for <laughs> mysteries like corn crop mazes. circles. Yeah. Crop circles were areas in the fields where the crop had been flattened by circular we've geometric all seen signs. patterns. Okay, it's okay. easy. Um, they would appear mysteriously out of nowhere, usually overnight, especially mm-hmm. in the U.K., but later in parts of U.S., Japan, and a handful of other places, Pennsylvania, they still pop up, right? You know, and they look—they're very like, like perfect circle. Yeah, isn't that, like isn't the that band. a band? Like the <laughs> yeah. band. Yeah, the phenomenon had no known cause, baffling experts, um, but providing plenty of work for producers and TV specials. I wish I could remember when those things like hit. I the remember, news. like, I kind of do remember like some new I stuff don't. about them because I was like, "Are these real?" And I, I never really got a sense of like. Does anyone know for sure? Yeah. I don't remember it coming out as, you know, a hoax. I don't remember any But of I, I figured it was. I'm sad that I don't. Despite despite all these efforts, investigators never succeeded in witnessing the formation of a crop circle. That's what blows my mind. Yeah. All these groups, these nerds that are talking to each other. Nerds that can't get girlfriends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hanging out with other nerds that can't get girlfriends. They've been doing it for years and they'll keep doing it. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> Why can't they get girlfriends? I love how Mel Gibson's like, all right, just like watching this, yeah. Um, but yeah, they never did succeed seeing him making this, so yeah. it was kind of hard to like debunk it. Yeah, researchers assumed the crop circles were caused by weather events, even localized whirlwinds, <laughs> electrical phenomenon, and um, a combination of the two. It's, no. a, oh, it's a whirlwind electrical phenomenon deal. That, Happens. That makes no sense. Spins perfect, knocks down all the all the grain, <laughs> the corn. It's freaking weird. No. Proponents of this theory worked hard. Um, they tried to like prove this in um, in labs and stuff. The fact mm. that the circle started appearing in the U.S. in tornado-prone areas mm. um, was seen as a potential confirmation of the whirlwind theory. Sure. See, a little teeny one started right there. Yeah, sure. And the big one just destroyed that trailer park. But didn't they? Didn't they also have like lines and things? They did. That, they like, were, like connected. Like, like how? Well, how's they, a tornado yeah. going to do that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Either. I don't know. A lot of people think that they're. Um, like a map, directions, telling people. <laughs> yeah, I think um, so too. Uh, but yeah, 
I mean, obviously, that's where signs came from because mm-hmm. it was about this whole hoax. And if Reality- you haven't seen signs, get off your ass right now and go watch signs. It's one of the best movies ever made. I think so too. Screw you if you don't like yeah, it. Yeah, I agree. You know, Joaquin Phoenix has done a lot of good movies in his life, never as good of a performance <laughs> as he has given so in good signs. In that. I agree. Yeah. Mel Gibson, again, phenomenal. Oh, yeah. As usual. Absolutely. Reality ended up being brutally embarrassing to the crop circle research community. In the 90s, two <laughs> yeah. farmers, Doug Bauer and Dave Chorley. Oh, Doug and Dave. Confessed to single-handedly starting the entire crop circle phenomenon in 1978. <laughs> using ropes and a plank of wood. Hey, that's easy. He's got ropes and wood and spun it around. Apparently a few people with some ropes and some wood can do this overnight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Thanks, officer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, crop circle experts were reluctant to give up the lucrative TV hosting gigs. Sure. Resisted the hoax explanation, but eventually had to concede that they'd been duped. Somebody needs to do like a investigative podcast yeah. documentary on this or something. I think it was phenomenal what oh, they had so done good, and man. created and yeah. like there's no way these two dudes were communicating with other groups. Doug and Dave, they could barely <laughs> they couldn't even rope and wood. Yeah, rope and wood. They were hardly even but it's successful crazy, farmers. Like, they apparently. think that that's where it like stemmed from is just these guys wanting to go out and spin some donuts. Whip some shitties out there. <laughs> Whip some what? That's what we used to call them. Whip some what? Shitties. Oh. I don't know where that came from. Like uh, Brody's. Brody's, yeah. I think uh, like everywhere has its own little way of talking about a donut. Yeah. Brody's donuts. Yeah, shitties. Yeah, there's a lot. I don't know why. Yeah. But anyways, um, that uh, that one's pretty cool just because like no one ever witnessed it being done. Yeah. I'm sure some did, but they were part of it. It's a hoax, man. It's a hoax. This one's kind of dumb. I'm going to read it anyways. Um, what was this one? Did you ever hear about the disappearing blonde gene? <laughs> no, I hadn't ever heard so of it. So stupid. The disappearing blonde gene was a hoax claiming a scientific study had estimated that natural blondes would become extinct. Repeated as a oh. fact in reputable media such as the BBC and the Sunday Times between 2002 and 2006. This is modern times, my friend. People were like, uh, the blondes are going away. They're not going to be here <laughs> Jeans anymore. Jeans are so dumb, they ain't being Yeah, the hoax, <laughs> the hoax claimed that because the allele for genes for hair color is recessive, blonde hair would become less common as people with dominant non-blonde hair alleles had offspring with people with recessive alleles. Just kept getting them even, bigger. Yeah, bigger. even though such a pairing would retain one. Anyways, it was all over the place. Yet in the history, history of mankind mm-hmm. that allele has never been suppressed exactly yeah <laughs> so anyways that was a thing like people Just thought That's there crazy. was a four-year period where people were scared <laughs> about the blondes going away i love away. my gold locks. i just don't want blondes to go away forever yeah. i want who would, lo- who would have, i mean i'm sure most males probably think blondes don't exist anyway they're like yeah they're all bleach their hair <laughs> yeah they're all brown hair these days and soon you see them you're like did they die or is that their natural hair never know never no know. one i don't even know my wife's own hair color Never, know. never seen it. Never seen it. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I have either. <laughs> um, this one I thought was pretty funny because okay. I had never heard of it. Have you heard of a drop bear? The name sounds familiar. Yeah, but it's I don't know. Not a candy. Oh, it's not. <laughs> oh, so the drop bear, mm-hmm. sometimes known drop as bear. the thylark, the what? Thylarctus plumetus. Oh, I've heard of that. A large <laughs> arboreal predatory marsupial related to the koala. Oh, okay. This thing's the size of a leopard, having orange fur and dark with dark modeling and with powerful forearms for climbing and attacking prey. Wow. It's like the evil twin brother of the koala. Koalas are kind of scary anyway. They are a little bit. Those things are they're beasts. Like, I like when they like 
startle them. They're all. I <laughs> know. <laughs> <laughs> they're like all cute and cuddly. And <sighs> yeah. They're yeah. like. Um, and the bite is made using broad, powerful premolars rather than canines. So they would drop down on tourists mm. and I don't know what, it never said exactly. They don't know if they bite the jugular or what, but sure. basically they are aggressive. There's only a couple of ways that you can prevent them from jumping down on you. Yeah. You can, um, the, yeah, you can put forks in your hair. Oh, I've done that. So if they drop down, they're just going to get gouged they get and then they're going to run off. The fork you. Yeah. You can put... Vegemite or toothpaste spread behind your ears or in your armpits. Oh, well, armpits. That'll do it. <laughs> Vegemite or toothpaste spread? Yep. Either or. Either or. Either or okay. for some reason. Okay. You can urinate on yourself. I uh, do that sometimes. Just piss on your head Just and nothing's going to come on you. I know. Um, I can't. What come would down num- on you. But would number two help? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that episode. <laughs> um, but. And the other thing is, you don't want to uh, be speaking regular like American or British. Oh. You want to speak with an Australian accent. They don't drop on locals. Nope. That makes sense. So, yeah, anyways, yeah. Yeah. So, this drop bear was um, probably created for people that hated tourists. Sure, yeah. They wanted to freak them out that there mm-hmm. was a aggressive form of the koala that was up in the trees, dropped down on yeah. you. But you could do all this ridiculous crap yeah. to prevent it. Maybe it was so. like a fork salesman. But they even gave it that um, scientific name. Yeah. Stylarctos. <laughs> Plummetus. 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 That's what it is. Yeah. Plummetus. A plummet from the tree. That's pretty funny. That is pretty funny. Hey, Cam, I got to tell you about nutrient survival. It's made with real ingredients. No drop bear ingredients. Guarantee it. Made in America, not in Australia, to keep Americans healthy, strong, and alert. Perfect for today. Ready for anything ahead. Ain't no hoax with this. Heck no. From hearty, delicious entrees and nutrient-dense snacks to immunity-boosting drinks and strength-building shakes, each with 40 essential nutrients available in handy singles, daily use pantry packs, durable cans, and three to 90 day survival kits, keeping your world safe and your body in peak condition. Cameron, I agree. Yeah. This isn't your cheap, empty calorie, bland food storage. This stuff actually has nutritional value and it tastes freaking good. They have their new NREs nutrition ready to eat. They're freaking awesome. Head over to nutrientsurvival.com. Use our code casual preppers. You're going to get 10% off your order. Like, this is like actually good healthy food storage, my friends. You eat this every day, you're going to be healthier than you are now. Okay? So go get it. NutrientSurvival.com. No hoax there. Nope. It's real, real. Exactly. Real. Use our code casual preppers. Yeah. Cam, this one is one of my favorites. <laughs> I didn't look into any of the details. Just the name yeah, alone cracked me up. Have you ever heard of the furry trout? I have not. Or the fur-bearing trout. But I'm going to go after it. Yeah. You got to have a good spinner for these guys, <laughs> I tell you. It's a legendary creature purportedly found in American folk- folklore and Icelandic folklore. Both. Okay. According to folklore, the trout has created a thick coat of fur to maintain its body heat. It's like you get in that cold water. You know, it's hard. It's hard to keep your body temp up. Oh, it's yeah. a fish. But if you grow, but if you adapt. Hair, you got to adapt. <laughs> Okay. Tales of furry fish date to the 17th century and later. Wow, it's that old. The huh? shaggy trout of Iceland. <laughs> and uh, shaggy baby. Yeah. Shaggy baby. Yeah. The earliest known American publication dates from a 1929 Montana Wildlife Magazine article by J.A. Hicken. A taxidermy fur, uh, taxidermied furry trout pro- produced by Ross C. Job is a specimen at the Royal Museum of Scotland. It is a trout with a white rabbit fur ingeniously attached. You look at it. It looks pretty cool. I'd love to have that on my wall. <laughs> look at that thing. You want to pet it. I could, 
I want to pet that fish. I could see that cutting through the water. For sure. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't be able to swim very fast. No. Right? It's got to have a lot of drag. I got him. He's so cute. <laughs> He's so cute. <laughs> An account of a furry trout appeared in 1929. My wife, Meg. It was a fur- I highly oh, suggest you do look up the image. You got to look it up. Freaking yeah. hilarious. <laughs> Hickens' account states that when the fish is caught, okay, I want you to catch this thing. It gets even weirder. The, tanger, oh, really? the change of temperature from this water to atmosphere is so great that the fish explodes <laughs> upon being taken from the water. <laughs> you got to be careful. Wear some goggles or something. It's going to blow up in your hand. Get one pet and boom. <laughs> yeah, one pet and that sucker's gone. But the cool thing is, is once it explodes, the fur and the skin come off in one perfect piece. <laughs> so it must explode out the butthole or something or, or the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got the fur. You don't even have to gut this sucker. It, which is great because it makes it available for commercial purposes. No, oh, yeah. It leaves the body of the fish. It's perfect. Um, For refrigerator or for eating. As so like. that one that's on the wall, mm. it didn't explode. Yeah, it, it must pretty intact. Yeah, but I think it must have come out the tail or the, the front and they just reconstructed that's true. that piece, okay? Um, <laughs> that'd be so. I'd catch that sucker, just flip it over to camp. I know, yeah, yeah. Be Got me a fur, uh, yeah, fur fish, furry trout. A tall tale was recounted by Essie Slosser. It states that the hairy trout resulted from two bottles or four jugs of spilled hair tonic. <laughs> <laughs> floating in the water. Just floating in the water. And it just it got that hair tonic on it and started growing. Something's changing. Something's going on. <laughs> so to catch a hairy trout, fishermen would That's act- easy. I can tell you how it grew that hair. Let me tell you a story about some spilled hair tonic in a creek. The end. The That's end. it. That's how it happened. <laughs> to catch a hairy trout, fishermen would act as barbers. <laughs> lure fish from the waters with an offer of a free trimmer shave. They just like sit there and shave their razor blade. Yeah, I'm on fishy. I'm ready. I'm ready. You want to um, get that fur off? <laughs> Looking a little long. It there, seems trout. like something I could see, like a beer commercial. I know. Of them huh? like catching them, like yeah. like shaving Shave. them and then throwing them back throwing in the water. <laughs> it's like shearing sheep. Yep, shearing sheep. Yeah. An intentional fantastical story in Maine claimed that hairy trout were under a catch and release policy, and that was enforced by wardens carrying the Brannock devices. Those are those like where you'd measure your foot. Oh, yeah, yeah. The silver things <laughs> at the shoe store. If fish were caught, the warden would measure it against the fisher's foot. Before it exploded. Yeah, before it exploded. If the fish's length matched the fisher's foot size, the fish could be eaten and the pelt made into furry slippers. <laughs> Perfect slippers. size. Yeah. Perfect size. That right? does sound nice. Yeah. So, anyways, that is the furry trout. Man, we need to get some of these art, like I know. a replica of that. To have in the studio, up in the studio or in the it's bunker so awesome. or something. It's a beautiful looking fish. It is. I yeah. Yeah. Keep it low enough so kids can pet it. Yeah, like put use it as a pillow or something. Yeah. Stuff it full of cotton. <laughs> yeah, you probably can't on. find one of those. Yeah, furry trout. It's I'm great. gonna do that. Make it a big deal before Christmas. Yeah, people will be trading. Oh, you took this one, huh? Okay. So did, yeah, is this yours? It, it's fine. It's green now. Take it. It was not okay. Go ahead. Oh no 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 no. This is different. This is, is different, yeah. Oh, okay, well. The Great Moon Hoax, we've talked about this one before. So, mm. August 25th, 1835, the first in a series of six articles announcing the supposed oh, yeah. discovery of life on the moon appears in the New York Sun newspaper. Oh, of course, it's not the, the New York Great Moon, moon Hoax. The articles were supposedly reprinted from the Edinburgh Journal of Science. Read all about it. Read all about it. The <laughs> yeah. moon is a hoax, everybody. <laughs> no, this is about okay. like life on the moon. Oh, 
The moon is real, everybody. <laughs> There's people living Reprint. there. Reprint. <laughs> um, so, um, Dr. Andrew Grant, mm-hmm. described as a colleague of Sir John Herschel, a famous astronomer of the day. Herschel had, um, in fact, traveled to Cape Town, South Africa in January 1834 and set up an observatory with a powerful new telescope. Ooh. Never been used before. Never been used before. As Grant described it, Herschel had found evidence of life forms on the moon. Such as a unicorn, <laughs> two-legged beaver, and I call it a moonicorn. <laughs> Two-legged beavers. Uh-huh. I think those are already around. <laughs> Winged humanoids, the blue resembling waffle. bats. Uh, yeah, and I think I have you ever seen like those reproduct like reproduced um, 1940s images of like space? I love oh, yeah. those. They're, oh, all they're cool. so awesome. Yeah, like yeah. stuff. And I think this is where they got a lot of the ideas. The articles were offered, they offered vivid description of the moon's geography, complete with massive craters, enormous amethysts, crystals, um, rushing rivers, and lush vegetation. How could you think that when you can kind of see with your Can't see the backside. Can't see the backside. Can't see the backside. I hate when I can't see the backside. (laughs) Yeah. It's my favorite part. (laughs) Yeah, the moon's, yeah. We're talking about the moon. Yeah, we're talking about the moon, yeah. Um... So these articles were most likely written by Richard Adam Adams Locke, a mm. sun reporter educated at Cambridge University. It's kind of weird that this is about the moon and it's from the sun. I know. Report, <laughs> That's <right>? true. <laughs> Some fishies yeah. going on. Furry fishies. Yeah. Intended as satire and they were designed to poke fun at an earlier serious speculations about extraterrestrial life. It was kind of a big deal back then. Sure. Because particularly one of them, Reverend Thomas Dick. Reverend Dick at your service. <laughs> You ready to hear Dick's sermon? <laughs> you young boys need to be taught proper. <laughs> Mr. Dick, anyway, Reverend Dick can give a you a popular the- science writer who claimed <laughs> in his best-selling books that the moon alone had 4.2 billion inhabitants. Listen to Dick, he knows. <laughs> it's the size of it's that much smaller than Earth, but it has 4.2 billion. Gosh, that's this crowded. Was, this was back in the 1800s. Yeah, easy. Yeah, roughly 4.2 billion. <laughs> on he's September, a reverend and he's right. Yeah. He's a science writer. Yeah. He's, wow. He's tricking everybody. He's a tricker. On September 16, 1835, the Sun admitted the article had been a hoax. Oh, so, come on. Um, yeah, I'm not going to read about okay. the rest of that stuff. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. That's a good one. I like that. I want to see ever- that two legged beaver. <laughs> <laughs> or the moon. How does that thing, like, I don't know. I don't know. Things have two legs. Tail, I it, guess that's true. It just stands upright. Yeah. It's a beaver that stands upright. <laughs> right. Right? I guess that's simple. Moon beaver. <laughs> Makes sense. In a moonicorn. It's one of those moon beavers. Oh, yeah. That's a moon beaver. Uh, 100%. I don't see any pictures of those. <laughs> yeah. Google moon beaver. See what you get. <laughs> see what happens. Yeah, no. Hey, Google, what's a moon beaver? I'm just looking for a moon beaver. <laughs> Babe, I was just looking for moon beavers. <laughs> this, is, this is podcast prep. <laughs> History's okay. just plastered. I'm trying to find a moon beaver. Unicorn, moon beaver. Cash and Preps talked about it. I'm just looking for a moon <laughs> yeah. beaver. Blame it on us, boys. Well, you- what's this blue waffle you're looking for, too? <laughs> I don't know. Furry uh, trout? What? You're weird. <laughs> you got to go to a psychiatrist. <laughs> weird stuff. Uh, you ever heard of a hurricane shark? 
No. Or a street shark? No, it sounds awesome. So basically, though. these are nicknames for uh, several claimed instances of a live shark swimming in a flooded urban area, typically in the aftermath of a hurricane. I do remember these. I don't. I don't remember Really? These. For more than a decade, starting with Hurricane Irene in 2011, all media purporting to document such claims, most notably an image of a shark swimming on a flooded freeway, were debunked as fabrications. Hmm. So there were like these pictures going around of a flooded freeway. And and shark swimming down it. There's a shark swimming down Ooh, yeah. it. Yeah, so that's the I whole thing. I could see that. That's the whole thing. But there's actually one that they said was real at some point. Anyways, most of them are hoax. It's Photoshop, guys. But maybe it really. Have you ever used Photoshop? You can Never. do crazy things. But I see with that it. people can do. Yeah, you can do so hurricane sharks aren't really a real thing. Street sharks. Well, that's dumb. It's a hoax. That'd have been cool. I know. So did Sharknado come from maybe this? Probably. Sharknado. Yeah. This one, uh, real quick, uh, I thought it was funny because people believe everything that Apple produces mm-hmm. is better, you know. Yeah, it's sure. More sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Um, Apple's software, iOS 8, had a feature that most didn't know about. I didn't know about it. The new feature was called Wave. Wave. Did you ever hear about this? No. I never did either. It claims that a feature um, was actually just a update to the software would allow you to charge your phone That's in I, your microwave. Oh, of course. And there's even like a little fancy, it looked like something that was at the, con- you know, a, yeah. a Apple conference that showed the phone and it said 60 seconds at 700 watts or <laughs> 70 seconds at 800 watts. Charge your phone all the way up. Oh, that's nice. That's, I'd love to charge a phone For in sure. like 60 seconds. It'd be great. But apparently people believed it so much that they started microwaving their phones, mm-hmm. explosions, mm-hmm. burns, Pictures of them are online. That's crazy. They deserved it. Did not actually have that feature. They deserved it. They found it. out within the first 10 seconds mm-hmm. of microwaving their phone. Yeah. Yeah, they deserved it. They deserved They it. all now use Android. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they, Which does have a microwave They feature. were about smart enough to use an Android. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just well. Kidding. We were having that conversation last night. It was released night. a lot earlier on Android. Yeah. That's Apple's right. Apple's yeah. a new. Yeah, yeah. it's a new stuff. Um, 1884. A major newspaper in British Columbia, that's in Canada, Cameron, Okay, uh, featured a detailed article about the capture of a creature resembling both an ape and a young human boy. I don't know how that works. It's yeah. an ape and a young human boy. Along the railway line between the towns of Boston Bar and Yale, British Columbia. Nicknamed Jacko, the creature was taken to Jacko. Yale and there, uh, thereafter simply disappeared. Like, where the crap did Jacko go? <laughs> However, the entire thing turned out to be a hoax, as the hundreds of people who visited the jail and tried to view Jacko discovered since Jacko was non-existent. Hundreds of people came to the jail like, I gotta see this boy uh, <laughs> ape hybrid. I um, would, I would. Uh, the story remained buried for like some 75 years. It was then resurrected by researchers in a quest to discover the truth behind sightings and other evidence of existence of Sasquatch. It was sort of like a Sasquatch story, oh, right? Yeah. Anyways, the story has been told retold another sasquatch yeah but it's not that interesting but that's the jacko hoax i haven't heard of that one though Mm -hmm. how about the lang lang edley langle landigly (laughs) say it landigly 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 international airport Oh, yeah. This one is hard to say. It's hard to say. For the past two decades, a billboard for landigly international airport has been a landmark near the powies (laughs) village Okay. It's a tiny little town. Tiny little, little town. Little village. Yeah, little village. Jeez. It looks like an ordinary road sign, but actually signpost to an airport that only exists in people's imagination. <laughs> and they just left the sign up. Yeah. Huh? After spending thousands of pounds to erect 
<laughs> and maintain the sign, the owner decided it's time to take it down. Oh, he did take it yeah, down. Yeah, since 2002. <laughs> I don't know. I want to build an airport It's sign. so weird. If you travel eastward along the A44 between Rayadar and Kington, you will see a sign directing drivers to Terminals 1 and 3 of the Landigly <laughs> International Airport. Where did it go? Nowhere. <laughs> but Like there wasn't like some other thing to see or no, he there was wasn't. leading people? <laughs> but, the, but drive the two and a half miles as instructed and you will end up not in an airport. Or oh, even it's a, two and a half miles off from the Yeah. <laughs> or an airfield, but just a field At on the outskirts made it far of the enough village. That you couldn't see it. Yeah, the man behind it, Nichols Whitehead, is a journalist who used to I, edit. I am Nichols Whitehead again. I'm Nichols Whitehead. I make fake signs for fake airports. <laughs> Real signs for fake airports. That's my specialty. Um, he used to edit the Randor edition of the Breakin and Randor Express. And once wrote with Monty Python's Terry Jones. He said uh, it started off as a wild conversation with friends one evening in Landigly. We thought. Of renting a sign or for something that wasn't really there, like what? How how much drinking do you have to do to come up with this idea? <laughs> I know. What if we rented a sign that's not really <laughs> something there? We just did it. For how many pounds you get? Yeah, put your pounds on the table, <laughs> um, and possibly a project that didn't exist. And we settled on the airport. Like they came up with it that night. It started off as a bit of a joke, and we realized it was actually possible. It was made by Wrexham Signs, given the okay. Wrexham, huh? Yeah. One thing led to another. And there it is. Huh. He added, as a journalist, whatever you do, someone somewhere is going to get upset about it. Anyways. Welcome. Yeah. In, in November modern world. 2022, he took down the sign because it he had spent a total of 25,000 pounds to date to keep the thing up for no good what? reason. Yeah. How, why, how does a sign cost to that rent much it. to keep? It oh. was like a billboard. He had to rent it. Right? <laughs> I don't just, know if it was worth build it. Your own. <laughs> yeah, I know. He expressed the hope that the Welsh government's heritage body, CAD W, might be interested in funding it in a, as a future cultural landmark. After a crowdfunding campaign in May of 2023, a new sign was erected east of the village where the landowner will allow it to remain without cost. People were pissed that they took it down. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's our airport. That's our fake airport. Put it back up. So, anyways, that's, that's crazy. Pretty weird, huh? That is really weird. Um, here's another one that's kind of interesting the Mars hoax. It was circulated by email that began in 2003 and claimed that Mars would look as large as the full moon to the naked eye That'd be awesome. on August of 27th, 2003. I, I would be interested in seeing that as well. The hoax has since resurfaced each time Mars was at its closest to the Earth about every 26 months. It began from a misinterpretation and exaggeration of a sentence in an email message that reported the close approach between Mars and Earth in August of 2003. The original email read, The Red Planet is about to be spectacular. This month and next, Earth is catching up with Mars in an encounter that will culminate in the closest approach between the two planets in recorded history. The next time Mars may come this close will be 2287. Due to the way Jupiter's gravity tugs on Mars and perturbs its orbit, astronomers can only be certain that Mars has not come this close to Earth in the last 5,000 years. Wow. And it may be as long as 60,000 years before it happens again. So they're getting people hyped yeah. for this sucker. Go <clears throat> see it. Yeah, um, and it says, blah, blah, blah. Mars will look as large as the full moon to the naked eye. Oh, my gosh. People are that stupid. <laughs> Anyways, obviously that didn't happen. Dang it. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah, they thought. I kind of feel like I remember hearing about the like Mars being close, but then mm -hmm. again, I get those all the time. Sure, Jupiter and Venus will align tonight. Yeah, You're exactly. like, I'm gonna go see. Uh, it's just a star. Nothing looks okay. Any never mind, that's dumb. Yeah. 
Um, I thought this was funny. I've never seen this. Microsoft, um, Microsoft's acquisition of the Catholic Church. Oh, that's a good. Did you know that happened? I did not. Know. <laughs> it did not happen. The press release claimed that Microsoft will acquire the Roman Catholic Church in exchange for an unspecified number of shares of Microsoft common stock. Jeez. And that the company expects a lot of growth in a religious market in the next five to <laughs> ten years. Yeah. Um, combined resources of Microsoft and the Catholic Church will allow us to make religion easier and more fun for a broader <laughs> range of people. Gosh. Uh, many of the press releases claims were unrealistic from suggesting that Catholics would soon be able to take a Holy Communion through their computer to claim... Oh, nice. <laughs> claiming that conversion to... Catholicism was an upgrade. Yeah, it's like a software upgrade. Yep. Right. Despite these warning signs, several readers on the false press release contacted Microsoft to confirm the claims were of hoax. You had to update your computers. Yeah. <laughs> um, and on December 16, 1994, Microsoft formally debunked the claims. Oh, man. Follow-up press release made similar outrageous claims. For example, one false press release claimed that IBM had acquired the Episcopal <laughs> Church. <laughs> That's awesome. And another suggested the Italian television network RAI had invested in what re release claimed to be Microsoft Corp's planned online computer service, the Microsoft Divine <laughs> Network. MDN. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah. So, a lot wow. of money. So, some people will believe it. Oh, I bet you they would buy it. Heck so, yeah. Why not? Yeah. That's pretty good. You know what I would buy? Off-the-grid surplus gear. Oh, my gosh. Because their mission is to inspire greater connection through adventure. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we all love adventure. Do you love adventure, Cameron? I like it. How much do you love it? Uh, enough to wear it. Enough to wear. <laughs> I wear adventure. <laughs> That's a great tagline. That is, yeah. Wear adventure. Do you go on adventure? Nah, I just wear it. I wear adventure. I, wear I am adventure. <laughs> okay? Off the grid, you can contact us about yeah. uh, that. These taglines, these are all uh, copyrighted, trademarked. Uh, they do that by creating extremely functional and everyday wearable products for a great price to take you off the grid. How do they do that? They simplify your clothing options, so you only need one piece of clothing instead of three or four. They combine the best features from outdoor, workwear, and tactical into one everyday, wearable, sexy package. All right, guys, go to their site, offthegridsurplus.com. Get an extra 15% off with our code CASUALPREPPERS15. It's the summer season. You got to go get their shorts because their shorts are the greatest shorts that have ever been shorted in, in life, yeah. in history of the world. So go get it. I think we should get it. Um, I think we should get it. I think we should all get it. Um, <laughs> what are you laughing at? Just the way I said that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Not intentional. Not intentional. Have you ever heard of the Momo Challenge? I have. See, I'd never kids, really heard of this. My kids were always, they came home from school one day saying, um, I'm going to look it up, but I don't want to look it up because I'll die. It'll, oh, okay. It'll force me into suicide. According to Lore, the Momo Challenge is a viral game shared on messaging services like WhatsApp. And it goads young children into violence or even suicide. Mm -hmm. That sounds bad. Images of the devilish bird lady up. supposedly pop up with creepy messages and commands that are said to escalate to extreme violence and horror. Wow. Other iterations... You just fall through? Yeah, you just got to do it, apparently. Oh, crap. Yeah. Other iterations of the story claim to feature the terrifying image spliced into children's programs like Peppa Pig or video games like Fortnite in videos posted on YouTube. Even more news reports say the challenge has spread to Snapchat. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Snapchat. But the reality is it's a viral hoax. 
The signature image for Momo, the possessed-looking chicken lady. I didn't know she was a chicken lady. Have you seen it? Yeah, it's she got some looking. big old breasts, like oh, the really? cleavage. You didn't see, see that? See the cleavage there? But Pre- I'm not on my computer trying to find it. <laughs> where? <laughs> where? 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 Um, no, I didn't see that. It's in there. Uh, predates pretty much every report of the supposed challenge, and appears to have nothing to do with the viral sensation. Uh, anyways, the challenge itself was likely cooked up on creepy pasta. I'd heard it. It's going through the schools mm-hmm. pretty heavily down here. News reports started cropping up in Latin America, warning of a WhatsApp terror game because there was a, a suicide of a twelve-year-old girl that they thought that was this, but that was didn't actually happen. Ah, okay. Yeah, Anyways, I remember my kids saying, you know, it's caused yeah. a bunch of suicides. They actually say stuff. that, like, the news reports are the thing that really pushed this that into makes sense. being, like, this urban legend viral hoax. But it was all just a hoax. Never happened. Never gotcha. was a real thing. Well, that's but, good. I know. Because that's bad. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's good because that's, that's bad. bad. Yeah. This one I thought was pretty funny. Um, how do you think you could boost participation and attendance to a street fair? Um, How about making a giant potato? <laughs> <laughs> sure, that's that'd be my that'd first be thing. one way. Yeah. What if we did a giant potato? Give me a while there. <laughs> so, Loveland, Colorado, mm-hmm. W. L. Thorndike, editor in chief for the local <laughs> newspaper, had wanted to promote an upcoming street fair. When was this? Um, eighteen ninety-five. Okay. Thorndike turned the turned to farmer Joseph B. Swan and wanted to help bring customers in. Swan had been known for growing more than 70 different types of potatoes. I only oh thought there gosh. were three. I grow 70 different types of potatoes. <laughs> I'm J.B. Swan. <laughs> yeah. J.B. Swan. <laughs> Potato producer. Potato extraordinaire. <laughs> yeah. He'd been featured already in several news reports and stuff wow. for his successful crops. Um, with the help of a local photographer, Adam Talbot, mm-hmm. they produced a photograph which appeared in the 1895 issue of the Loveland Reporter, which um, it was implied the potato weighed 86 pounds, 10 ounces, and measured 2 feet 5 inches. That's a potato. So the picture shows um, the farmer holding this big old potato mm-hmm. um, on his shoulder. Yeah. And, you know, basically people could come and see this gigantic uh, potato. I kind of figured it would have to be bigger than that to really bring people in. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's a big potato and all, but... I've seen bigger. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> you want me to come to a street fair, that potato better be huge. I'd be like 200 pounds. Yeah, like, you that's want, what I was thinking. You want thinking. a big old pumpkin size. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, um, requests, uh, people had come to see this thing. Mm-hmm. Thorndike, Thorndike, realizing the photograph was beginning to get out of control, admitted that it was a hoax. Uh He wrote that he had asked Swan to carve a fake potato out of wood. (laughs) Try to get out of it. It's a wood potato. So, anyways, it Mm. does look pretty good for its time. Does it? The Photoshop, yeah. Uh So, anyways, that's the potato hoax. Fake taters. Mm. Uh, That's a a, a lot of french fries. 86 pound tater. Pretty sweet. That'd be good for storage, food prep. Yeah. (laughs) Just put that sugar down there. The roots probably grow through your windows. Oh, man. (laughs) Probably would. Or the sprouts or whatever. Yeah. How about the Nalarber nymph? Nalarber. Sprouts or sprouts? Is it sprouts? Sprouts. Is it sprouts? I don't know. <laughs> anyway. I'm confused now. I ain't no potato farmer. <laughs> no. Should be. Um, how about the Nalarber nymph? Okay. This was a hoax perpetrated in Australia between 1971 and 1972. It involved supposed sightings of a half-naked woman living amongst kangaroos on the Nalarber plain. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? Good day, mate. You ever seen a Nalarbo nymph? I, was, I can't do <laughs> that it. That wasn't bad. Was it? Okay, well, To good. me, I wasn't I'm sure thinking the Australians about it. aren't going to like it. I Actually, when I was doing this, I'm like, I better try my Australian accent, and then I forgot about it. 
Until just now. You, <laughs> until just now. <laughs> so you just did. I just did it, yeah. The first report on uh, December 26, 1971, was by professional kangaroo shooters. Oh, okay. These are amateurs. Exists. These okay. guys do it as a profession. The PKS. Yeah, the PKS <laughs> at your service. <laughs> you like this rifle? I'm part of the PKS, <laughs> professional kangaroo shooter. Yeah, in Eucla in Western Australia, near the border with South Australia. Doesn't tell me anything, but that's what it is. They claim to have seen a blonde white woman amongst some kangaroos and backed their story with grainy amateur film showing a woman Wearing kangaroo skins and holding a kangaroo by the tail. Oh, dang. <laughs> yeah, that gets the Australians going. Yeah. Oh, mate, you see that? Hey, right. <laughs> I know. After further sightings were claimed, the story was reported around the world, and journalists descended upon the town of Eucla, which had a population of eight people at the time. Eight oh. people. Okay. Um. You can't even play a game of basketball in that town. <laughs> Nobody, not enough people there. Nope. Of course, no one ever did capture any footage of the Nilarbor nymph because five months later in early uh, 1972, one of the original yarn spinners confessed to the whole saga being a joke to drum up local business. All right. The Why the yarn spinner? Yeah. I don't know. The, the plot was hatched on Boxing Day 1971 when Jeff Pierce, a PR man passing through town, just PR guy just happened to be passing through town. Uh, couldn't pay his motel bill. Oh. He's like, I ain't got no money for this. Let me tell you something. We're going to do something here. We're going to talk about We're going to talk about some PR. Um, as a solution, he promised the owner he'd create a publicity stunt that would put Eucla on a map. That's pretty good. The population of the Outback Outpost at the time consisted of just eight people, four crossbred dogs, and a swearing parrot. <laughs> <laughs> wrote Adelaide's advertiser. Who wouldn't teach a pair yeah. to swear? Over, the, over a few schooners at a bar, uh, Jeff teamed up with a, a couple of kangaroo shooters, including Laurie Scott, who in turn convinced Jen, Janice Booker, uh, his partner and future wife, to be photographed as the nymph. On one moonlit evening, the pranksters even arranged for Janice, clad only in kangaroo skins, to run across the road at 1.45 a.m., so tourists on a passing bus would report the sighting. Oh. All right. Some of the passengers were so concerned about the woman's plight that they left sandwiches, milk, and sweets for her on the side of the road. <laughs> uh, milk. Yeah. Yeah. Put some milk out there. Out that's, there in the hot yeah, Australian that's exactly desert. What she wants to yeah. drink. Yeah. She's got enough kangaroo milk. Yeah. Uh, a journalist recently tracked down Janice, now 75 years old, living in Adelaide. She recalled the fun times of the hoax vividly. I had to coat myself in talcum powder before slipping into the kangaroo skins because they were still fresh and wet. Oh. <laughs> she laughed. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what she sounded like. So that sounds pretty gross. Wow, that's way gross. But that is the thing that I happened. actually wish that that didn't happen. I know. Pretty <laughs> gross. Disturbing. Huh? Um, so this one's an old... Um, hoax. This was a tricky one because uh, back in you know the day that everybody was trying to discover whether man had you know evolved from ape and they wanted that missing link. Sure. So the man, his name was Charles Dawson, not Darwin. Oh, 1912. Charles tricky. Dawson, an amateur archaeologist. I'm an amateur archaeologist. Claimed too. to have. Yeah. I don't think any archaeologist that I know ever claimed to be amateur. Yeah. Oh. Claimed to have discovered the missing link between ape and man. He found oh. part of a human-like skull in Pleistocene gravel beds near Piltdown Village in Sussex, England. 
Dawson wrote to Arthur Smith Woodward, keeping keeper of the geology at the Natural History Museum at the time, about his find. Mm. Um, long story short, he had um, basically found parts of skull in a very like different places and mm-hmm. put them together. And part of the jaw was like from a primitive, like he basically uh, had gotten like an ape jaw. Never disclosed where he got these parts of human yeah. skull and ape. And so he kind of recreated a fictitious um, missing link. And it, it went for a long time. And there was wow. a lot of different um, scholars that came and looked at it and believed that it was real. It wasn't until 1949. What? Yeah. New dating technology arrived and changed scientific opinion on the uh, age of the remains. You Using fluorine tests, Dr. Kenneth Oakley, a geologist at the... Not an amateur. No, he's he's a tr- He's a full-on pro. master geologist at the Natural History Museum. Discovered... That the Piltdown remains were only 50,000 years old, not the claimed um, 500,000 years old. This eliminated the possibility of the Piltdown man. So, anyways, that one one lasted a long time. Yeah. Um, The other, this one. I liked this one. So, Mary Toff's Bunny Babies. Bunny Babies. Um, Not a kid's toy. Bunny Babies? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. 18th century Europe, Mm -hmm. people paid a lot of money to see weird stuff. Yeah, man. Just like today. Yeah. Mary Toff decided to jump in on this business with a very odd idea. In mm-hmm. England, in 1726, um, she went into labor with her um, and her neighbor and mother-in-law delivered a liverless cat. Liverless? Yep. That's so when very they de- specific. When she had this baby, she, they're like, look, it's a liverless cat. How did they know I it don't was liverless? Know. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. Never thought about that. After another, uh, after other animal bits were retrieved from Gosh. her nether regions, legions again. <laughs> They rang local obstetrician John Howard. Over the next month, he delivered a rabbit's head, a hog's bladder, the legs of a cat, and nine dead baby bunnies. What the what? Yeah. Uh, That's uh, crazy. She became the talk of the town, and many paid to witness the bizarre births, including a Swiss uh, anatomist um, and the Prince of Wales secretary. Okay. The Prince of Wales secretary is here. (laughs) Wants to see you give birth. He wants to see your nether lesions. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but her, uh, her fetal fame didn't last long. A German surgeon proved a rabbit could not have been, have developed inside her because he found corn and hay in its dung. <laughs> like, wait a minute. You don't have corn growing in that uterus, do you? Yeah. Someone was then caught smuggling a rabbit into her room. Of course. The jig was up. To- uh, Toft confessed she'd been inserting animal parts into her vagina after suffering a miscarriage. This person has problems. So. Not only was she faking it, yeah, she was really putting them up inside her. That is disgusting. This person has issues. Yeah. Wow. That's weird, man. That one was disturbing. People do weird stuff. They do. Man. For money. For money, you'll For do money. anything. How about the Ompak Spatuloids? Uh-huh. 1872, Carl Steger. He was the one-time director of the Brisbane Museum. He's visiting Gainda Cattle Station. In northern Queensland, Australia. That's just like some of the weirdest stuff in Australia. For his dinner, he was presented with a cooked fish that he had never seen before. Indeed, it was so unusual in its appearance that he made a drawing of the fish before he ate it. Oh, okay. I do that sometimes. Yeah. My wife makes me something like, I'm drawing this before I eat this. Let me show you what it looked like before (laughs) we... I'm going to take it, I'm going to draw it, and here you go. (laughs) Um, Sounds like some restaurant to like gain fame. What? You can, they'll oh, yeah. draw. They'll yeah. draw it up. They'll draw your dinner. <laughs> and then you can have it. This is a corn stock. Yeah. 
This is this is the rabbit. <laughs> Who eats the rabbit in a restaurant? I don't know. Somebody probably does. It had a head similar to that of a known species of lungfish that are able to breathe air. That right off the bat is weird <laughs> to me. But does it explode? No, it doesn't explode. It had a long tail and a duck-shaped bill similar to a platypus. Why does that always end up on weird animals? I don't know. Because it's weird. It is. That's true. Platypus doesn't seem like a real animal. No, no, no. It's got to be Poisonous. Lays eggs. It's poisonous? It's poisonous. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. That's super weird. I know. Um, His host told him that the fish had been caught by native Australians at a local waterhole close to the Burnett River. And had been swimming with other varieties of lungfish. So he sent this drawing to Francis Laporte, Count of Castlenaw. Castlenaw. If I'm, that's what you would do, I guess, that in those times. Who was one of the most eminent naturalists of its time. Laporte duly reported the discovery to the Linnean Society, giving it the botanical name Ompax Spatuloidze. I like that. Yeah, given such distinguished credentials and the fact that the new species could be expected to be found in remote areas of Australian outback, nobody questioned the existence of such a platyfish. And despite the fact that no other species specimens were ever discovered the fish remained on the list of australian wildlife for 30 years <laughs> however i'll have boneless platter fish <laughs> yeah i mean i want some boiled platter fish please <laughs> however eventually somebody took a closer look at stager's drawing and deduced that it had to be taken in by a clever hoax and he had literally swallowed hook line and sinker <laughs> the creature in question had almost certainly been assembled from the head of a lungfish the body of a mullet and the tail of an eel and the bill of a bill of a platypus. <laughs> they just stuck it also together. Also found on the moon. <laughs> yeah. With moonicorns. <laughs> moonicorns and yeah. two-legged beavers. So anyways. Yeah. Unpack <laughs> spatuloides. That's a good one. Yep. I hadn't heard that. Me neither. So, another interesting animal. This, I I don't know why we didn't try this. Why had we, how, why have we not, like, obtained a tree octopus? I've been looking. To, to bring Sasquatch in. So oh. apparently, there is a, there's an endangered species, cephalopod, which mm-hmm. is purportedly able to live both on land and water. It's only found in the, the Olympic National Rainforest. Okay. Nearby rivers spawning in water where its eggs are laid. So its major predator is Sasquatch. Oh, so okay. So it's yeah. a Pacific Northwest tree octopus. Oh, yeah. So it's either up in the tree yeah. or, you know, in the Sasquatch river. loves it. It's delicacy. Oh, phew. But it'll come down into the river. <laughs> <or something>. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? Tree octopus. I'm gonna go brush it down and get this tree octopus. <laughs> yeah, that's what he sounds like. <laughs> what are we having tonight? Tree octopus. Tree octopus again? <laughs> yeah, so apparently this was mm. created, this hoax was actually used to kind of track how um, like kids and stuff can easily believe internet um, scams and stuff like that. So they're kind of Weird. seeing how, how easy yeah. it is for them to believe that makes sense. fictitious stuff like I this. Guess. I guess. And I'd probably start somewhere else than a tree octopus. <laughs> tree octopus, yeah. So um, this one, I'll just, real quick. Um, this was in the mid-1800s. Mumler, which is a cool name. Mumler. Um, Mumler. Practiced double-dealing craft in the 1860s. He was, um, what was he? He was a jeweler, engraver by trade, and accidental inventor of the spirit photography. Oh, yeah. Mumler figured out how to produce images that were double exposed, yeah. giving one of the figures a ghostly quality. Yeah. So basically, he's like, wow, this it kind of, he found it by accident, took a self-portrait in a friend's studio using a plate that was already exposed. I don't know what he's taking a picture of himself for. <laughs> Selfie. 
And I'm like, I'm going to look good. Yeah. This image was circulated as a gag and then fell into the hands of somebody at the Herald of Progress, a spiritualist journal. I love the Herald And they of were like, whoa. Yeah. We can really tap into the spirit world here. Mm. And so with that, it kind of took off that people wanted to get their picture taken. And what he would do is he'd find somebody um, that looked similar to them mm. that they could say, this was your grandmother behind you, which would freak me out. Oh, my gosh. It's yeah. like you're taking a picture and there's like a your grandma. ghostly grandma and behind now they, you. And then the, in the 80s, they used it as like school photography. You yeah. have you and then a side <laughs> profile exactly what those <laughs> pictures looked like. They looked like that. Yeah. But yeah, so it kind of took off because, uh, you know, mediums and stuff were using it. They're like, you can yeah. go down here and get your picture taken, your ancestors behind you. And you know people, <laughs> when they're grieving and stuff like that, yeah. they'll do anything For sure. to see that the, you know, the spirit world is there next to them. Mm-hmm. So that kind of took off. Come to find out, he was just faking and, you know, well, he he knew how to do it. But there, I think it was um, a doctor had gone and had his picture taken and, and recognized the ghost <laughs> oh, really? and got all pissed off. And wait, like, wait, wait, wait. I don't whoa, know that guy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I took treated, his appendix out last week. I checked his prostate three days ago. <laughs> yeah. That ain't no he ghost. He ain't dead. He's on my watch. <laughs> he ain't dead. He's got high blood pressure, so, yeah. but he ain't dead. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. the one that debunked it. And like, That's awesome. Um, yeah. And that guy admitted to taking the uh, pictures. I want for, my money back, mumbler. Yeah, yep. <laughs> Give it back. I ain't treating you. Uh-uh. That was very funny. You and your diabetes can go right to hell. <laughs> uh, Indeed. Today's podcast is brought to you by TacPack, the only monthly tactical subscription box with useful professional-grade stuff inside. Use our code CASUALPREPPERS. Get a free $70 machine-made part from Next Level Armament. How do they do it? I don't know. I don't know either. But somehow it's done. If you want an AR parts, if you want like EDC knives, if you want cool little gadgets for EDC gear and for your gun, get yourself a tack pack. The value is unrivaled. It really is. Okay. Unrifled. Unrifled. Oh, man. We are coming up with some good (laughs) stuff today, and our sponsors need to get with us. Yeah, they do. Yeah. We're creating everything for them. Value unrifled. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) You can get hold of us. Yeah. You know where to find us. My gosh, we are going to be rolling in the money. (laughs) Have you ever heard of the Protocols of the Elders of Zion? I have. I have We actually talked about doing like a... Yeah, full Specific episode on this. Yeah. Um, it, or the protocols of the meetings of the learned elders of Zion. It's a <laughs> fabricated anti-Semitic text purporting to describe a Jewish plan for global domination. The Jews, I feel bad for them. I know. Everybody thinks they're trying to take over the world <laughs> yep. all the time, right? Um, the hoax was plagiarized from several earlier sources, some not anti-Semitic in nature. It was first published in Russia in 1903 translated into multiple multiple languages and disseminated internationally in the early part of the 20th century played a key part in popularizing belief in an international jewish conspiracy that still like is alive today and there's a lot of people in this in this conspiracy world that still say that the protocols of the elders design i've like heard a it real I've deal heard it come man. up a lot yeah yeah so but anyways it's it was exposed um in 1921 by the times and uh german freight further zutnig in 1924 so it's already been exposed as being a hoax but it's remains Still believed huh? available in numerous languages that's crazy you can find it um but it's a hoax guys is it mm. is it though? apparently yeah apparently 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 mm-hmm. um 
How about the jackalope? Did you watch America's fam or funniest videos when you were a kid? And sure, they did, yeah. Like stupid little jackalope. I had a, my grandpa had a jackalope. Did uh, he? A mount? Uh, yeah, I was gonna say at, at Spirit Lake Lodge. All, he, did. he had one up there. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. So, or in German, the Wolpertinger. 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 We're going hunting the Wolpertinger. Well, no, it's the Wolpertinger. <laughs> watch out! The Wolpertinger is after you. <laughs> yeah. So in the 30s, Douglas mm. Herrick and his brother, hunters with taxidermy skills, yeah. popular, popularized the American jackalope by grafting deer antlers onto the jackrabbit carcass and selling the combination to the local hotel in Douglas, Wyoming. Oh, cool. Thereafter, and made sold many similar jackalopes to retail outlets in South Dakota. Mm. Another ta- taxidermist continues to manufacture the horned rabbits in the 21st century. So it was just a joke, something yeah. they put together, and a lot of people started believing that it might be real, and and it was, uh, it's been in TV shows, it's been in um, mm-hmm. mockumentary films and things like that. Um, the underlying legend of the jackalope, upon the which the Wyoming, uh, Wyoming taxidermists were building, may be related to similar stories of other cultures and other historical times. Yeah. Researchers suggest that at least some of the tales of the horned hares were inspired by sightings of rabbits infected mm-hmm. with the Shopi papillomavirus. Causes like a horn <laughs> and antler like tumors to grow in various places on the rabbit's head and body. It's I, actually, I didn't know. That's gross. It's a good thing that that lady wasn't giving birth to Jack. Oh my gosh. She would have contracted this. She'd have had blue waffle after that. But yeah, it became pretty popular and, it, and you know, even to this day, uh, you see things with the jackalope. Sure. It's a funny thing, but some people are like, I think it might be real. Yeah. I, I, I'm not gonna lie. When I was a kid, I did. we had that did on too. the wall in the lodge. I'm like, is that real? Where do you f- hunt that? I know. And my grandpa was like, yeah, it's extinct. I shot that back in 1963. Yeah, I'm, sure. I'm sure he did. There was some awesome water and I killed a jackalope. <laughs> you know, as I was like, I was like always so confused. I'm like, is that real? Is it not real? It does. It, it is kind of, you know, like some of them look pretty real. So there's another one that's kind of similar to the jackalope. It's called the Scavator. <laughs> I had not heard of this. Yeah, never heard of this. It's a Swedish fictional creature that was constructed in 1918 by the taxidermist Rudolf Granberg and is permanently displayed at the museum at Nora Birgit in Sundsvall. Yeah, it has four quarters and hind legs of a European hare, so a rabbit, and the back, wings, and tail of a female wood grouse. Um, it was later jokingly given the name Latin name Tetreo Lupus Pseudohybridius Rarissimius. <laughs> I sound for real. Yeah. Anyways, it was just like a tall tale that this guy um, talked about one day. He killed it, and then somebody else heard from about there, it. From there, huh? Um, and then um, some guy from pub to yeah, public, and-, and then somebody said, "Hey, we should make one." There's a taxidermist, and he made it, and then it That's just sort of became a theme. Is that the picture of it? Excavator. Yeah. Um, the Scavator also became the nickname, a nickname in the 1950s and 1960s for a combination bus and truck. Oh, it did. Or Bruck, <laughs> which is commonly used on small bus routes in Norland. The front end uh, was a bus taking passengers, and the back end was an open loading bay, often used for delivering milk. So oh. they called that the Scavator, oh, too, cool. because it was like a hybrid animal. That's cool. Kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. I like the truck. I, I, I want the Scavator. I want the Scavator, too. So this, um, um, We'll do it real quick. Um, toothing. I'd never heard of this. Had you heard of this? Toothing? No, I don't know what that so is. So toothing is basically a Bluetooth-enabled mobile device that arranges sexual encounters. Oh. So it didn't really exist, though. Oh, okay. So um, two guys had decided, they're like, um, there's all these dumb little names, buzzwords, mm-hmm. you know, for dogging sure. and, and yeah. um, what was it, dog dogging scandal, and then there was, you know, blue blue jacking. What is blue jacking? 
I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So these are all popping up, and they're like, let's make our own. And they decided, they're like, let's talk about like using a Bluetooth device. You could turn on this app, and it would basically let you know that someone else had turned it on and just looking for sex. They're ready for yep. something. They're ready to get things done. Yeah. And so okay. um, it became like pretty popular, and people believed that it was a real app. Mm-hmm. And they kind of like started to look at look into it to see if they could, you know, um, actually use something like this. I could see this totally being a thing. Well, it's, I mean, it's not that much different than like uh, it's not Tinder, the Tinder, yeah. right? Like it's exactly the same thing. Basically, yeah. BBC wrote in their article, which you know actually promoted it further. One practitioner is John, a toother, living in <laughs> near London. One morning, I received an anonymous text via Bluetooth. He told BBC News, "I didn't understand what had happened, but that evening I did some research and worked out how to send my own." The mm-hmm. pair started to exchange messages on a train station platform. Messages which got gradually more flirty. Of course, eventually they did. she asked me if I fancied a quickie in the toilets um, at the station <laughs> we were traveling to. It happened, but I never saw her again. So that was they like had promoted this fake story, sure, and so people believed toothing was a real thing, cool. and it was not. It definitely wasn't, was it? Um, that's interesting. How about this one? Actually, is pretty interesting. It's called the Turk, uh, the Mechanical Turk, also known as the automaton chess player or simply the Turk was a fraudulent chess playing machine constructed in 1770 which appeared to be able to play a strong game of chess against a human opponent. Uh, For 84 years it was exhibited on tours by various owners as an automaton which is crazy back in 1770 that people believed this thing was real. The machine survived and continued giving occasional exhibitions until 1854 when a fire swept through the museum where it was kept, destroying the machine. Uh, afterwards, articles were published by a son of the machine's owner, revealing its secrets to the public that it was an elaborate hoax, suspected by some but never proven in public while it still existed. The Turk was, in fact, a mechanical illusion that allowed a human chess master <laughs> hiding inside to operate the machine. Um, with the skilled operator, the, the Turk won most of the games it played, which is funny. It couldn't win all that? of them. Uh. It won most. <laughs> because it's just a, it's just a person just a in there. It's just a dude playing chess. It's just a dude playing chess. Robot. But everybody really thought it was a, a, a machine that That's was playing cool. against him, right? Um, uh, uh, C-3PO. Yeah. Won most of the games it played during its demonstrations around Europe and the Americas for nearly 84 years. Playing and defeating many challengers, including statesmen such as Napoleon Bonaparte and Benjamin Franklin. Wow, it wasn't dumb then. The, no. The person. Yeah. I was like, he was actually good. But yeah, because he, he beat both of them. Posed as a freaking yeah. automaton. That's kind of crazy. That huh? one is crazy. Yeah. That's cool. It is kind of cool. All right, so this last one. Save the best for later, right? Of course. No, nah, I don't know. Save but I, thought, I, I, I had no idea that this happened. I had, didn't even look into it, so I'm going to be interested to hear yeah, what you so, have to say here. Of all the things through medieval Europe, relics associated with Jesus Christ, anything, you know, yeah. the Holy Grail mm-hmm. or the stake or anything that had anything to do with him was of super, you know, important religious, you know, reasons. Everybody yeah. wanted some of that. The foreskin is the only body part in the Bible specifically mentions being removed from Christ during his life. Oh. So it was actually yeah. still there. Mm-hmm. We had that. But the holy foreskin didn't appear only in art. It is an actual, actual physical artifact, they say, or what people claimed was the real thing. Wow. So the holy foreskin <laughs> first made an appearance in medieval Europe around 800 AD. So, it was, Oh, my gosh. Yeah, when King Charlemagne presented it as a gift to Pope Leo III. Mm-hmm. Charlemagne said it had been given to him by an angel. 
Oh, yeah. A little foreskin. Foreskin angel. However, rival foreskins soon began to pop up oh. all over Europe. All told, 21 different churches claim to have the holy foreskin, often at the same time. Oh, my God. Various miraculous powers were attributed to these foreskins. They were supposed to be able to protect women during childbirth. Of course, yeah. Given the glut of holy foreskins, church made an effort to have their foreskins authenticated by church <laughs> leaders as the sole genuine <laughs> article. In the early 12th century, the monks of San Giovanni in Later- Laterano, Laterano, Rome, asked Pope Innocent III, I don't know that was a name. It is. To rule on the authenticity of the foreskins, but he declined to do so. I ain't oh. touching no foreskin. Nah. Um, ain't touching no foreskin. <laughs> it's a hard to authenticate the foreskin. <laughs> Later, the monks of Charot claimed their foreskin to be only the only real one, pointing yeah. out that it apparently yielded drops of blood. It's what? real. It's got blood in it. You got the blood of Christ. This convinced Pope, Pope Clement the um, Seventh, who declared theirs to be the authentic thing. Wow. Some med- medieval theologians argued that the, all the holy foreskins <laughs> necessarily had to be fraud since the actual holy foreskin had, they asserted, ascended into heaven with Christ. Oh, it, it went up yep. when he went up. So he's going on a foreskin followed behind. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what? Excuse me, everyone. <laughs> well, this is going to be awkward, but it's coming back. <laughs> Oh, I, I didn't know anything about I, this. I had never thought about the holy foreskin in my life. I don't think, it, I mean, of all the parts, yeah. Christ left them behind. Unfortunately, yeah. this is the only one. This is it. The 17th century theologian Leo Alateus uh, speculated in his essay, um, I'm going to read that yeah. one, Jesus Christi, uh, that the holy foreskin had ascended into heaven at the same time as Jesus and had become the rings of Saturn. <laughs> <laughs> that, that makes total sense. So the foreskin <laughs> has just become the rings yeah. of Saturn. The Catholic Church eventually Man. sought to extract itself from the holy foreskin controversy, deciding oh. that it was rather unseemly for such attention to be paid to Christ's private parts. That makes sense. It yeah. adopted that the view of all the rival foreskins were frauds, and in 1900 made it a crime punishable by excommunication to write or speak about the holy foreskin. You can't even write or speak about nope. it? None. Wow. Shall speak of the holy foreskin. Yeah, the rings of Saturn. I didn't. That one blew my mind. Wow. I had no idea. So, um, apparently, but um, fraud. the like, foreskin was yeah. passed around, duplicated, mm-hmm. and became the rings of Saturn. Wow. <laughs> I had not heard of that. That that's, one was that's, one. That is legendary, to have your foreskin become rings <laughs> on a planet. He's like, oh, my God. <laughs> He's up there rubbing his forehead like, these people. They, they killed given me. given them everything. They killed me, and, and now they're worshiping. Now they're worshiping the rings of Sa- uh, Saturn. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. People are messed up, man. Yeah, he's just shaking his head. Yeah, he's like, seriously, I'm done. People, this I'm is, done. This is why Armageddon's coming, yeah. you idiots. <laughs> oh man, that's it. That's hoaxes. Not trying to be sacrilegious, but that was weird. That was weird, man. Um, well, you know, two-legged hey, foreskin beavers. does it for you. Yeah, two-legged beavers, moonicorns, <laughs> furry, flying fish, rabbits, flying rabbits, lots of weird crap. Right, you can believe anything. Giant potato. Yep, giant potato. So, that's right. Yeah, so, you got anything else, Cam? No, that's it. All right, guys. This is all true. Everything. <laughs> Stay survived. <laughs>